Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and I'm so excited that you're joining us today. We are going to have a fascinating conversation, as usual, as we learn from people all around the world at all ages and stages of life. Stay tuned as we shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. I love the footbar walker, and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. Hi, everyone. I'm Lori LeBay, and I'm thrilled you are with us today. We're going to have a wonderful conversation. Anyways, I think so, because I'm actually not going to be doing the interview, and we're going to do a little role reversal, and Michael Ellen Bogan is going to be interviewing me. But before I introduce you to him, and some of you might be really familiar, he's a super advocate worldwide. Uh, he is known, and he has been on many of our, our Alzheimer Speaks platforms. Uh, but before I go there, I just want to give a shout out to the Mark Arneson Band, who allows us to use their song Clarion Call for our opening music. And also, if you're looking for seed money to improve the lives of those living with dementia, those that care for them, check out modsventures.org. They are giving out fifty dollars to $100,000 in three different categories. Also want to give a shout out to the Memory Camp, which will be open August 15th to the 18th at Moon Beach in Wisconsin. And you can call them at 715-479-8255. Also, I am so excited and I'm really proud that we finally relaunched Alzheimer's Speaks It's much easier to maneuver. So go to alzheimerspeaks.com. We actually have a whole section uh, with real easy icons to just click on with all the free resources we have. And if you're looking for speaking or training or branding and and marketing, we have uh, easy sections to follow there as well. We're going to hear from the Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner as they talk about the footbar walker, and we'll be right back with our guests. I love the footbar walker, and let me tell you why. It is the option for my toolbox that I've been waiting for. Let's be honest. There are some clients who, despite our best rehab efforts, just aren't able to return to performing a sit-to-stand transfer on their own. 
Now I can offer my caregivers an easier, safer option that doesn't involve hoisting their loved one up from a sitting position. I don't recommend this walker for all of my clients, but I do recommend this walker for those caregivers looking for an easier, safer option with transfers. I would also encourage other therapists to add this walker to their toolbox. It's kind of like having my own mobile parallel bars for the client to pull up on. Whether it's a family caregiver at home helping a loved one with Parkinson's or dementia, CNAs in a long-term care facility assisting their patients, or therapists adapting to client and caregiver-specific needs, we now have a very safe and effective option to offer in the Footbar Walker. Check this product out at thefootbarwalker.com. That's it for today from Adaptive Equipment and Caregiving Corner. Have a great day, and don't forget, if you can't do it, adapt it. Okay, we are back and we are going to be talking about role reversals regarding dementia advocates being myself and Michael Ellenboken. And you are going to learn probably things about me that you didn't know before. I have no idea what he's going to ask. And that's part of the fun and part of the scary in a good conversation, I think. So, you know, normally, again, I'm the one doing the interviews with our guests. But again, today, Michael Ellen Bogan, who's living with dementia, will be asking me the questions. So just to let you know, I have no idea what the heck Michael has up his sleeve. Uh, For those of you that don't know, Michael and I have known each other for years. He has participated Uh, multiple times on Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, our Dementia Chats educational videos. He's written articles for our blog. He's been on a panelist for our Dementia Friendly Cruise, just to name a few things that we have worked on together. Michael was diagnosed with young onset at the age of 49. Yep, 49. And listen, he was trying to get diagnosed for 10 years before that. And so he has been a mover and a shaker uh, since that diagnosis in the industry. And he is about raising all voices and getting people living with dementia to really, you know, step into their disease and become advocates and reduce their stigmas. Michael has also written a book about his journey called From the Corner Office, which you can get on Amazon. He has spoken at the World Health Organization in Geneva and has been a formidable force in Napa, which is the National Alzheimer's Plan Act, and so much more. Michael has pitched multiple programs through through the years from um, When to Stop Driving, uh, Right to Die discussions. He recently interviewed uh, Tipa Snow, the founder of the Positive Approach to Care, and George Vanderberg, the co-founder with his late wife, Trish, of Us Against Alzheimer's. Well, Michael, I'm, I'm excited and scared to have you on the show today because I have no idea what you have up your sleeve, but I know just from our history, we'll have a good time and a wonderful conversation, <laughs> no matter what your questions are. Um, and I have a few up my sleeve for you as well. So I'm going to let you go ahead and um, and take this forward. And um, we'll just go with the flow like we always do. Fantastic. And thank you so much, Lori. I actually came to Lori with this idea after I had already done a few shows. And to be honest with you, I can't even believe that she had accepted to do this after seeing me perform with other ones. Uh, my goal was always to ask some of my favorite people in the dementia world, some of the questions that some others might not be aware of. And 
I just wanted you to kind of see an insight of what I see. Let me, I guess, first paint the picture on how I met Lori. It was on Saturday, May 14, 2011. I had reached out to her as I was going through the final edit of my new book. At that time, I knew she was very involved in the dementia community. I had added her to my LinkedIn network about a week before that. She had graciously offered to read and provide feedback on it. She got back to me and said, I'm going to be launching a radio show soon to give the voice with this disease. Would you be interested in being interviewed? And I'm like thinking to myself, I'm not sure I'm ready for this at this point in time. And I remember her asking me, what is YOD? Is that young onset Alzheimer's disease? I'd never seen that one before. Together, over the years, we'd learned so much from each other. While I never went on that show at that time, I did help find others play a role on it. We became very good trusted friends and had the highest respect for each other. She never treated me like I had any dementia issues. At that time, she would not even have organizations or companies on her show because she wanted the pure voice of those living with the disease. How great was that? Someone was actually giving us a voice when no one else even thought to include us in anything back then. Because of your inspiration, by March 3rd, 2012, I started to gain some traction in my mission. I had 3,200 LinkedIn connections from all over the world. My story been heard by the highest levels of government and scheduled to speak in front of Napa for the first time. I believe a lot of this came from you having such a belief in me and cheering me on. So far that I am very grateful to you. And then she got started with dementia chats, which I thought was such a great way to get others with dementia to speak so open and honestly. This was a great way to encourage others to come out and publicly talk about this disease and help break some of the stigma. Most importantly, people without dementia learned a lot from this experiences. Lori helped me for many years with getting from their experiences. Lori helped me for many years with getting my words right, becoming more powerful advocate. So, Lori, I will ask you my first question. Why did you ever get started in this field? As you know, Michael, my mom lived with, the, with dementia for 30 years. And bottom line, I was just a frustrated daughter thinking, why, why isn't anyone talking to my mom and, taking, and, and listening to her and taking her seriously? Why aren't they listening to us, the family? And where the heck are all the other families? Because I know they're out there. And then most importantly, even on top of all of that was where are the services, products and tools, there's got to be something. And so to me, all of that was missing. Now, you know, my mom's been gone since 2014, but my goal hasn't changed with Alzheimer's Speaks at all. 
Um, and actually, it was my my prior life job. You know, I was a residential real estate agent that worked and, and really worked closely with families of seniors and helping them through transitions. And I always look at it as a transition as a normal part of life. You know, we go through all kinds of ages and stages, and this is just another one that has to be um, accepted and adapted and, and, and lived with graciously. And I didn't see us doing that at all. I saw a lot of fear um, to raise money, which really upset me um, greatly because again, I don't, I don't mind giving money if I feel like it's going towards supporting the cause. And I didn't really, I didn't see that. I didn't really feel that um, to be quite honest. And so it was actually um, my colleagues in real estate, um, those in senior housing that encouraged me to step into this space. They're like, Lori, you are coming from a whole different angle. You found um, joy and beauty and ways to deal with your frustration. And you're just positive about life. Life can be lived well with this. And that needs to be heard. And to be honest, Michael, I didn't know if they were sick of hearing my story, even though they were paying me to come speak and just go kind of do it over there. <laughs> you know. Um, so I started with a, a blog and I was shocked that people around the world resonated with our personal family stories because I'm a girl from Minnesota. I never traveled much. And so that was that in itself was a big door opener to me going, wow, this is so much larger than just our family or here in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. So that's, that's kind of what it was all about was my mom, and I, I say this when I speak all the time, my mom's disease, though I wouldn't wish it on anybody, was the biggest gift I'll ever receive because she taught me so many beautiful life lessons in the process. And I just feel like it, like I was born to do this. This is my job. This is my duty to share the learnings. I know that feeling, Lori. You know, you know. Sometimes I say that, you know, while while this disease has come and taken its role on me, I also believe that it couldn't have picked a better person because I'm a fighter and I'm I'm trying to make awareness, and because of it, I. I've benefited a lot to help others. So I, I can understand where you're coming from. I, I think the way we're going to do this, Lori, I'll ask you a question and you ask me a question. So it's your turn now. Okay. So, um, Michael, I'd like you to kind of give people a little bit of background. I had, I had mentioned in the intro that you got diagnosed at, at 49, but you were fighting for a diagnosis for 10 years. What was that like for you? Well, for me, it actually started around age 39 that I started having some issues. And uh, at first they seemed small, but it, it was just not normal for me. Uh, I was always the go-to guy who always had the answers for everything. And I was just struggling for years. And uh, I, I was like slowly forgetting four-digit extension numbers. The people who directly reported to me, I would have trouble find, finding their names. Uh, I, I started forgetting acronyms in my field. And that just got to be a little bit overwhelming for me, you know, especially when you're out there talking to uh, upper management and other things. And I mean, I was getting hammered all the time for customer service issues. So you had to be real quick to reply. It, it just wasn't helping me out. 
So I realized something was wrong, and I tried to go to uh, doctors for the first three years, and it's sad because it was, all they kept coming back was that I was stressed, I was depressed, and I knew that wasn't the case, but you, you got to believe in what they tell you. They're the doctors, and uh, I started going to seeing psychiatrists and psychologists, uh, and they all came back and told me, uh, that that wasn't the case, but their messaging to me did help me because I came across a wonderful woman who taught me how to deal with some of these things. And she taught me how to delegate more, which I was not one to, to delegate a lot to my staff. Uh, I always wanted to be on top of everything. So uh, that made my life a lot easier. And I just got so frustrated with the medical system that I finally just gave the hell up on it. But then I ended up getting fired from my job and I lost things and it was just getting to be so much harder to manage things. So uh, fast forward to about eight years later, I'm now in another job and I was just so struggling. Post-it notes everywhere. I mean, I, I had to have post-it notes for the post-it notes <laughs> and I was just so struggling to do a simple job. And when I took this new job, I had written all these great procedures on how to do step by step. And as you know, you know, you, you get into a new job, you follow the procedures for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, and then you don't need them anymore. Well, I found myself using them every single day. And it's like, something's got to be wrong here. I mean, you know, my mind didn't work this way. My mind used to hear things once or twice. and That was it. I could run with it. So I started all over again. And what I realized was the first mistake I made when I went to the doctors before is once a doctor knows something about you on the medical chart, all the other doctors know, and they just don't even care to analyze you anymore. Whatever some other doctor says, they immediately think that that doctor's right. So I made sure to start out fresh and not even tell them that I went to doctors before, that this was all new. And... This time I went full speed ahead. I went to all the doctors all at one time, diff different ones, because I didn't want to waste time. And we came across a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I don't remember what he was. And after sitting and talking to us for a couple of times with my wife and I, he finally came back to my wife. He says, there's nothing wrong with him, but have you ever thought of Alzheimer's? Because I think that's what he might have. So we took that verbiage back to our neurologist and our neurologist kind of agreed. And from that point on, I got tested and my PET scan showed that I had Alzheimer's. And uh, next thing you know, I ended up going to some specialists and they sent me to NIH where I had the luxury of being tested for seven to 10 days. I was their only patient. And uh, at that time, they thought I might have either Alzheimer's or semantic dementia with falls under the FTD category. But after being at the NIH, they suspected it wasn't semantic dementia. They thought it was more of the Alzheimer's side. So that's the story. But it took 10 years and it was so frustrating. And I just can't imagine what others must go through, especially when you're struggling and so many people lose their jobs and it's too late. It's just too late for them. Yeah, my mom, it was uh, 10 years too. And the doctor kept poo-pooing it to hormones. 
oh, it's just a lady thing, you know? And she's like, this ain't my girlfriend's hormones. It's different. We talk about it. Um, and, and it's really about being heard, you know, really being listened to. And, you know, just because you don't fit the profile, I mean, you think of how much we've learned about dementia and the different ages that people are seeing symptoms at. But back then, that wasn't common. I know for my mom and, and I'm sure for you as well. And so they, they just don't go there. Absolutely. Well, the next question I have for you, when I first met you, you were the only person to actually include people with dementia in the process. And you played such a role for the way dementia people are treated today. Why did you ever think to do that when no one else considered it? Because it was common sense. I mean, it was just common sense. You talk to the person who's having the issues. They're the ones that know what it's like, what it feels like when it comes on. Um, I, I use a phrase that I say, you know, why are we peeking through the window when we can just knock on the door and have a conversation? I mean, it was just an asinine concept to not include the patient and, and the patient's family as well. But I, I thought it was and I looked, I looked at my mom thinking how much she wasn't included and how much she taught me. If, if we just sit and listen, if we really take in and believe that, you know, they can give us information, people living with dementia, dementia can give us information. And now, I mean, it's really come to the forefront, which is really nice to see. But, oh, my gosh, the battles that I, I can't tell you the conferences I went to going, we need to include people. I want to do a panel, I, you know, and, and people are like, well, no, we, we can't do that. We can't. You know, we have to have the experts. I'm like, they are the experts. They live with it 24 um, seven. How much more education do you need than to live with it? I mean, come on, folks, let's get our egos out of the way. And to this day, I will never, ever forget a conference I did. And we only had 20 minutes. We were doing a dementia intensive um, workshop. And I interviewed a gal living with dementia. And they said, oh, you know, you can, you can, you can interview. And I, I won't even mention her name um, offhand, but she, she comes every year. And, and I said, oh, and what does she talk about? Oh, she talks about the same thing every year. I said, no, no, we are not doing the same thing every year. There's too much to learn. So I called her up on the phone and I said, I know that you really are comfortable with this, but would you by chance think about discussing how your senses have changed? And she said, oh, they really haven't. And I said, well, you just do me a favor. And over the weekend, just see if things have changed, touch, sound, taste. I mean, just you're hearing everything. And she called me back on Monday and went, Oh my God, <laughs> I had no idea how much stuff had changed. And in that session in 20 minutes, um, we had comments in, um, in the reviews afterwards. I had to go to the bathroom, but I couldn't leave. I, I could have listened to this all day long. I've never learned so much about dementia in such a short time. And I think that that is the value that needs to be understood and raised. And we still, even though it's, it's lifted up and we've got, you know, more organizations being inclusive, it's not enough. We have to, we have to go further. 
Well, I have to tell you, you're the one who set the standards out there for people to start to follow. And it's a shame that even today we do not have people who are requesting those to be a part of the team. And when I say the team, I don't mean that towards the end, but from the beginning. And uh, I I think you set that model. I really do. And uh, people should be very thankful for what you have done. Oh, thank you. That, that, that means a lot because boy, I, I mean, and it's still a battle out there, you know, but when I stepped into this space, Michael, I purposely didn't align with any existing models because I didn't feel like they were really listening and serving the general public. And for that, I got a lot of backlash and, and people thought, well, she'll go away. You know, what does she know? And there's a lot I don't know. And there's a lot I'll never know, but I'm, I'm okay admitting that, but there's a lot I can learn. And the only way I think all of us can learn is to be inclusive in the conversation. So I'm not saying, you know, the, the medical model and the academics aren't valuable. They are, but so are those living with the disease. So are the families, so are the advocates, so are the, so are the children. You know, some children have some great insights. Think of the books that are being written and like little um, Haley Richmond, who's 15, who runs two nonprofits now to be inclusive and engaging. And she's got kid caregivers and, um, you know, that little girl, she's out to change the world. There is so much creativity if we crawl out of our box and let people do what they're good at. And, and come forward because your needs are different than my needs and are different than everyone else's needs. And that's hopefully that never changes, but we need to meet everybody's needs. And so we need to hear those voices. And one of the things we still struggle with today is, is getting different cultures involved and pulling them in. And, and, you know, if, if I'll scream from the mountaintops, we need to hear from you. Your lifestyles are different. Your values are, are a little different. That's okay. We can still support you, but we can't do it if you don't tell us how. And you need to be part of the movement. And, you know, I, I, I'm just so thankful that people like you and, you know, Harry Urban and Laurie Shear. And, and I mean, I could go on and on and on. The list has grown. And, you know, the Norms McNamara people all around the world are stepping up and stepping in. And something that touches my heart probably more so than anything is to hear you guys say, you know, I thought I had purpose in my life before dementia, but I didn't really know what that meant until I had dementia and stepped into this space. And, and I don't know, Michael, can you, can you expound on that? Do you feel that way? I mean, I, I've heard you say that. I've heard other people say that too, that there's just this ingrained purpose and um, pride in terms of, of trying to change the world in terms of how we look at this. Sure. Well, I got to tell you, for me, a, a, as you know, in the business world, I, there was nothing I can't get accomplished. In fact, I, I used to surprise everybody on what I can get accomplished. So I guess when dementia came around and I no longer had a job, I used to be a workaholic. Well, I had to find something. And at that time, I'm not sure I knew what that something was, but I quickly realized that I had to do something for this disease. Because as, as you know, back then, there was only a couple of us talking about this. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was only a couple people in the entire world, you know, and uh, 
somehow that that was really ticking me off because it had to change it had to change and i think after about a year and a half trying to figure out what i wanted to do and seeing how things were happening out there and how there was so much stigma and how mistreated people were and how these organizations who claimed to be helping people with dementia weren't really doing what they said they were doing. They were really more out for the caregiver. You know, everything was the caregiver. It's like, my God, what about the poor person who's got dementia? He doesn't have a voice or she doesn't have a voice. And I said, you know what? This is my calling. This is my calling. I'm a tough son of a bitch, as you know, and I can get a lot of things done. And I said, this, this is it. So that's about the time I think I met you just right before that. And I wrote down 10 goals that I had. And I don't remember what those goals are now, but I said, I'm going to address these 10 goals. And people said, what are you crazy? 10 goals? That's a lot. I said, well, I have to. And, you know, as you know me, I go after the high hanging fruit. I don't go for the easy stuff. And uh, I just started pushing and kept building up my LinkedIn network and pushing everywhere. And I slowly started making that difference. And and I felt so good about it because it now gave me a purpose. And And I could take something that was so negative and it made me feel good to give back and to help others. And I mean, as you know, for the first four or five years, my big goal was to get new people into this. Mm -hmm. I was searching out people all over the place who had dementia, people who could step in and be similar to me to come out and start talking and be the advocates that we didn't have out there. Mm -hmm. And I, I believe between you and I, and we we accomplished a lot and, and, and other people who helped. Uh, and it, it was so great to start seeing people come out now and start talking about it. And I mean, I am so happy today to see so many people out there that I look at and those people continue to bring on other people. So it's, it's like we, we, we're slowly building an army and that's what it takes. That's what it takes to win this. You know, I, I like to tell people that if I'm not pissing somebody off today, I'm not doing my job. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And, you know, my wife laughs at that. She goes, oh, these people are going to get mad at you. They're not, they're not wanting to deal with you anymore. I said, so what are they going to do, fire me? <laughs> it's like, so what? If they don't agree with what I have and what I want to say, well, maybe they're not the right people for me then because they probably don't have the same passion as I have. So I, I don't get bent out of shape when somebody th- disagrees with me. I, you know, You know me, if I can't go down – Path A, I'd find a way around it and go to path B, you know, but change has to happen. And there's one thing I just cannot take is when people say it can't be done because it absolutely can be done. It might not be the easy way, but there are ways to make things change. And I have to tell you, it's because of people like you, I, and so many others out there that in the last five years, there has been so much change happening in this arena and it's only going to continue to spiral faster and faster. And to be honest with you, I don't think we're that far away from a cure or at least a way to slow it down because we're gaining so much knowledge because all these people are making their voice be heard and people are now hearing us. And 
that's the only way you're going to bring success. Yeah. I want to give a shout out just to some of the other um, advocates like Richard Taylor, who has since passed. My favorite. a wonderful global voice, Norms McNamara over in the UK, who started the Purple Angel um, project, which is a symbol that anybody can use. And and he was told, no, it'll never work. It'll never work. And it's in so many countries, we can't even count so many advocates, um, you know, and ambassadors. Um, Rick Phelps and Harry Urban were two that, you know, started kind of the first Facebook groups, which there are many out there now with memory people and forget-me-nots. And the use of, of multimedia, that that was a passion of mine. It's like, well, we all know we learn different. Why aren't we tapping into different, different formats so that we can be inclusive and that we can communicate around the world? And then finding out, which was a shock to me, because here in the U.S., we're always told, you know, we're, we're the leaders of the pack and going, wow, we're behind the eight ball. <laughs> They're doing some really cool stuff overseas and how willing they were to share that with us, which, you know, helped us with the dementia friendly communities and the memory cafes that, that weren't our concepts. Just so, so much work and passion. And I loved when you said, I hate when people say we can't do that because that used to drive me up the walls. And early on when I stepped in, in 2009. I, I mean, I, I was like a bull coming at that wall. You are going to get this, you know, or I'm going to die. And then I finally thought I'm going to die because they're just never going to get it. And I, I got to walk away and go, go talk to somebody else because I was, it was draining my energy. And I wish that was something I would have learned faster. Um, but it's a lesson I'll never forget. Stop trying to convince someone, just move on you you know you've stated what it is and and lead by example and i think there are so many pied pipers now when you're leading by example and people believing that that they can step into different roles i mean i've had even people call me about starting a memory cafe and they're just doing research and they're like you know i'd really like to be involved but but our group says i just I'm not qualified. I said, what do you mean you're not qualified? Well, I'm not a nurse and I'm not a social worker. I'm like, you don't have to be. And they're like, well, they're all telling me that. I'm like, but they don't know. And that's why you're calling. I said, we need, we need passion. We need a person who's compassionate. We need a person who can give everybody even time, who can admit they don't know and um, who can sit back and not always answer, but let the group answer. Cause you'll all learn from that. Oh, and then she was so excited and I'll never forget when she called me back and she said, I did it. I'm, I'm leading this and it feels so good. And, and, you know, but again, we have this box we put people into that gets into, we've always done it this way. And so we can't. And I think that is one of the biggest mistakes Um, for me. I have kicked out the word perfection and failure. I, I, they just don't exist in my world. And I think we have to get organizations and people themselves to realize nothing is perfect. It can be perfect in a moment, but if we are not constantly looking at how can, how we can change and be better, because even if we're serving a group, that group's going to change over time. The needs are going to change over time. So we need to change over time and the group should be leading that we shouldn't be pulling them along going, this is what you need. And they're going, no, no, it's not. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. You know, I mean, we have to listen. We have to listen to people. 
and we have to get creative and we have to have fun. We have to learn to laugh and, and live our lives fully. I just want to bring up two people that you did not mention. One of them, Kate Swaffer, who yep. I think we got to give her a lot of credit because she, she did a lot of good things. Uh, and sadly to say, I cannot remember this lady's name, but she was the first woman to start all of this. And she's the one who actually got Richard. Uh, I'm sorry, is it Richard? Uh, Richard Taylor? Yeah, Richard Taylor. She got Richard Taylor involved. They were both on the first ESG group by the Alzheimer's Association. I'll, I'll share the name with you later, and maybe you could give her credit somewhere. Okay. But it's because of her that we have people today speaking, because she was the first to mm-hmm. start talking about this. So uh, I, I, I wish I knew her name, because she's probably the one that deserves all this credit. Because mm-hmm. if it wasn't for her, Richard wouldn't have been where he was. I wouldn't be where I am. And so many others wouldn't be here. So yes. we, we owe her a lot. There's so many. I mean, we could never name all the advocates, um, which is a wonderful problem to have. Yet we still need more. So, you know, if you're listening and you're living with the disease, um, count yourself in. You are, you are capable and your voice is needed. So reach out to us. Okay, let's see. Believe it or not, Lori. I went through over 6,000 emails to do this show. (laughs) I realized I had forgotten so much. You and I had bounced many ideas off of each other during this time. We did many interesting radio shows together on different controversial topics. Since like our first one in July 2013, Driving with Dementia, Mm -hmm. we had joined forces for the Purple Angel in July 2013, along with Gary LeBlanc, who I so admire so much for his work. But you didn't stop there. Because of who you are, you're such an out-of-box thinker. You then came up with the first dementia-friendly cruise in November 2017. How did you ever come up with such a great idea? Many are now copying you. Well, you know, it's weird. I'm driven by my intuition. And again, just basic common sense and things pop up at different times. And I will say there are others that say that they've done dementia cruises, but I think there's a difference between doing a cruise with people with dementia and doing a cruise that's dementia friendly. And, you know, the differentiation with us was we had a panel of people like yourself and others that spoke. I mean, you were the conference um, that we did the symposium, but it, it came from a family cruise that we did with my mom who had dementia and my dad who had brain cancer. And we decided as a family, we wanted to do holiday vacation together and didn't really know how that was going to go. I was their primary care partner and I have two older brothers that weren't overly involved, but thought it would be good for my folks, you know, to be able to have everybody around and it would be good for the whole family to get together with all ages. And we made some great memories. We have some wonderful pictures. What did happen on that cruise, though, was that even though family all said, oh, we'll help out, we'll take turns and we'll do this and we'll do that. None of that happened. And so they all went off and did whatever they did, which was fine. And then I 
I did things that were adaptable to my folks. And I had a great time and I would never give that up. But I always remember thinking how sad they didn't take that time to experience some of these things that I got to experience with them. Yeah, we all had dinner together and things, but I mean, even just helping getting them ready for, I mean, this was a big thing for my folks and exciting. And, um, and I thought, you know, maybe we can do, maybe we can do better. I know it's possible, you know, to be able to travel. Um, you just have to adapt like, like we adapt in our, in our life every single day, every single one of us, dementia or not, we are adapting. We're just not conscious of it a lot of times that we're making those changes. And, the other thing that I found, and this, this used to tick me off, is how many people in the healthcare industry used to poo-poo the, the social media groups. Those aren't real relationships. And I used to get just livid at that because I'll never forget when um, Rick Phelps did a, um, and, I, and I wasn't able to go, but they all went to New York. Somebody came from, from Europe and they, there was like 20 or so, 20 or 30 people all got together and met for the first time. And they, and I remember them all talking about how meaningful it was and that they were like lifelong friends. I mean, they couldn't believe the connections. And I really wanted to see if we could pull people who hadn't met together because so many people felt, you know, still so isolated. And, you know, the, the cruise was not perfect, but again, perfect isn't in my vocabulary, but I, but I think it was a pretty, and I'll, I'll use this term, a pretty damn good time, you know, and, and people, people felt, I think some freedom. Uh, They definitely felt camaraderie. Um, They learned, I was shocked at how late everybody stayed up. I mean, I was shocked at, at how long people were chugging along and, and just popping up in the morning and ready to go again. I mean, the, the energy within the group, you know, the, the team that I had to support all of this was incredible um, with Cindy Luzinski and her husband, Craig uh, from Colorado and the Dementia Together group. Um, to Becky Watson, who was our music therapist, um, myself, and then our team of experts, you know, uh, you and Harry and Mary. And I mean, it was just, it was just an incredible, incredible mix of people that were such advocates and so willing to share real everyday experiences and give hope. It was, it was just made my heart melt. So thank you for being part of that. Well, it was a pleasure to be there, Lori. And one of the things that I can remember that has touched me is so many people walked away with so much great information to help their loved ones from that. But I remember sitting at the dinner table the first night with the woman, with her family, who thought she no longer could speak or talk. And they just didn't give her the chance to speak or talk. And by the end of the cruise, this lady, they were actually waiting for her to tell them what she wanted to eat. And this, they just had to give her the time. They didn't realize she could still talk and all. And it, it took somebody like me to make them aware that, hey, you got to give people the chance and time. And they, they, they walked away from that it, with, I think, great experience because they had lost the value of communicating with this person because they thought the person just couldn't talk anymore. And they were just so wrong. 
but that's kind of what's preached to us. You know, everything that is is like sucked out of a person who is diagnosed. That's what we're told that, that all the things that they can't do, that they can't be. And it's real easy to believe that when it's coming from our doctors and lead organizations and things like that. And and it is life changing when, again, it's it's a matter of leading by example. It's about pulling people together. And I truly believe it's about making people feel comfortable of the possibilities and giving hope. I mean, that to me, that's just a life changer. Well, you have the baton now. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you for bringing up the the cruise because that was really that was really very very fun. I I want to ask you about dementia chats. You know, we've been doing those for years and years, and I and I ended up losing a lot of our videos when I changed platforms. I kind of got held hostage and had to just kind of cut it and let it go. What did you see was the benefit not only for yourself and others living with dementia? but for families and professionals by, you know, and we continue to do these on a monthly basis, you know, pick topics and talk. What, what are the benefits that, that you felt and saw? Oh, I got to tell you, I, I think they're tremendous. Uh, I think first of all, for the person who was actually living with the disease, it, it, and when you talk to others who are living with it and you all answer similar questions and you start to learn that, Hey, this person's like me. What I'm doing is okay. It's they're experiencing the same issues and it makes you feel better that you're not the only one dealing with the issues. And we're, we're, while we're all very different yet, we all experience very similar issues. And if more caregivers would just listen to these things, they wouldn't even need to go to the doctors and other people to understand how to deal with people with dementia because there's so much great information that I believe can not only teach them how to be better caregivers, but to be a little bit more patient. And that's what a lot of them just don't get. You know, and I, I think some of these people give you all the good hints on how to treat people with dementia because they're so open about what they're dealing with. I mean, one thing I find is many caregivers don't seem to question their loved ones about the issues that you question us or the topics that you bring up. Hey, they're tough. They're, they're sometimes tough to talk about and they can be very damn depressing, too. But if you're not going to ask those questions, how are you going to know what the person with dementia is feeling like or or how to help the person? So you have to really have dialogue. And, you know, it's not always the right time to have dialogue. Sometimes you have to figure out, hey, does it have to be in the morning? Does You know, what works better for the person? But I really believe it's very important for them to have dialogue with their uh, loved ones. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what your show really brings out. But more importantly, to the medical professionals and the people who are working in the medical field, like assisted livings, light bulbs should be going off in their head when they hear these people. Because it probably breaks down all the barriers that they thought weren't possible. Because we're not somebody's just sitting back in a chair 
in a wheelchair with our head back and we can't talk. There's a long, long, long damn time before that happens. And there's so much that can be gained and learned. And like you said, we are the damn experts. We don't want to be the experts, but we are the experts because we're dealing with this. And who else could tell you better? Not no doctor who read a book uh, who only had one week course in dementia who's clueless or most of these other people who, you, who are in the medical field that are clueless or, or, or docs. So to me, this, this should be something that everybody should see. I mean, it's, it's a total inspiration to, to see the real people living with dementia, what they go through and how to deal with things. Well, what I love about those chats is you guys are all similar, but you you bring up different avenues and and you can have a great discussion disagreeing with one another and be really respectful, which just shows how broad and and how different dementia can be per person, you know, or per situation. Somebody might say, yeah, I've had that, but I've all, this has also happened to me, which is really different. And I go off in this direction and, and this is what I find. And I, I think that you teach people how to have a conversation with an, I, I had, um, and I can't remember the hospital, but it was over in the UK call and say, or, or email me and say, can we use these for training? And I'm like, absolutely. They're free. They're out that that's why we have them out there. You know, I, I believe in, in free content um, to that's shareable with people that, you know, that's what the radio show is about. That's what dementia chats about. Um, that's what the dimension arts is about is to, to get real people in the trenches talking about important, important factors. I've also seen and heard people say by watching you guys um, have these conversations, it makes others living with dementia feel more confident. It makes them feel heard. I have heard um, people say, I don't have to be so scared that I have this disease anymore. I can I can tell people I have this disease. I mean, they're seeing our culture change in terms of acceptance and what's going on, which to me is is key, you know, in this whole role. And um, I, I just thank you guys so much for for what you do and the time you spend to help educate the world. It's endless. And I have to I have to give a plug for our new website. We have the free educational resources and you can just go to the icon pick that you can you can go directly to the YouTube um, playlist for that or we have a printout um, PDF so you can see all the titles too and then go to go to them from that um, so we're trying we're trying to make it a little bit easier to funnel through all this stuff because there is so much content on that page um, which wouldn't be there without people like you Michael so I really appreciate that Lori you just beat me to my next question. <laughs> <laughs> you are involved in so many things. If you were to look at her website, you would think she has a team of people working for her. She may have a little help. Please give people a sense of what you do and how much time you actually spend on all this. As I believe there is so much involved, yet you are one person doing all this. Yeah, I did. I did have help. Um, and still I'm getting help from uh, Tanya Wilson, who is a 
graphic artist who actually volunteered helping me redesign the website. So I am like so indebted to her. We've been working on that sucker for a year and a half because again, it's just, it's moments in time. We try to, you know, sneak some time together on Fridays because things are so packed. Um, You're right. People do think I'm this big organization. They think I'm a they think I am a nonprofit. I am not. And I'm purposely not a nonprofit because I think we have enough of them. And I would like to see profits and nonprofits work together instead of fighting over grant money and letting people do what they do well. I, I always believed from the get-go that if I provided good content that um, you know sponsors would come in and go, oh, this is fantastic. But what I found was a lot of people go, oh, we can do that. Let's, let's, let's do it ourselves. But it but it doesn't have a lot of times the heart and it doesn't sustain itself because if the person with passion is gone, it's gone, you know, it just, it drops off. So I'd still like to see more collaboration on that part. Cause I would love help. I mean, I work almost seven days a week. Um, I take off Saturdays to be with my grandkids. And even then they're like, grandma, get off the computer. You know, <laughs> stuff. But I have to say it for the most part, it doesn't feel like work to me. I love this. I I believe it's my life's purpose. Um, Yes, I'd like to have a life, but I'm also divorced. And so I have I have a lot of time. And uh, this is really my mission in life. Maybe someday I'll meet somebody. I mean, that's the hope. But there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of time, a lot of energy and a lot of thought to keep this going. You know, the the radio show has been really fun. You know, I started out doing a show like once a week, and then it's twice a week. Now, a lot of times it's three times a week. But, you know, that's a lot of work. You know, you have to, as you know, Michael, because you've helped set up some of the specials and stuff we've done, um, setting that all up, getting it edited when their video edit edits, then pushing it out and you know, getting the next one in line. Same with the dementia chats um, and dementia in the arts. These things, uh, they all take time. Or, you know, we've got a poetry and article section where people can submit. You know, I have to take that. I have to format it. I have to upload it. I have to. And, and then just your emails. Like you, I, I, I don't even like to consider how many emails I get a day. And a lot of them are crap emails. And, and you put them in the spam, but they pop back up under something else and you still have to go through all of that stuff. So, you know, communication, sometimes I, I fall behind on and I'll, I'll admit that. And I have to say sorry more than I care to admit. Um, but it's, it's a matter of juggling everything. You know, I'm, I'm still hoping to get a book out myself, but I just haven't had time. And I have two concepts, you know, that I'm working on. One is, one will be kind of more of a, a children's tale that will be actually children teaching adults how to care better. And the other one will be more stories and stuff, but you know, you know what it's like to write a book. I I just don't have that time to block out. Um, And then with dementia map, you know, launching that, um, that dementia map is a, is a global resource for people to find service products and tools around the world. I've wanted that for almost 40 years. 40 years and nobody's done it. And, you know, Dave Wiedrich, who has the memory cafes, heard me talking about it all the time and said, let's do it. And I'm like, I am all over this thing. But we're, you know, with that, we're building it slowly. We want, we want people to enter themselves. We don't want to look bigger and better than, than what it is. 
Um, we want to even out the playing field from large to small. We want to encourage people that don't even think they're a resource to come on. I mean, there's so many people with dementia that go, well, I'm not a resource. And I'm like, yes, you are. You have a YouTube, you have a blog, you, you know, you're doing this, you're doing that. You need to get your social support groups in there like Facebook and, and various organizations, you know, and it's, it can be free or it can be an enhanced listing, but still so many people aren't in there that should be in there. And it's just a matter of time. I know it'll, you know, it grows every single day, but all that stuff is time consuming, but it's also very exciting at the same time. And um, like I said, I just feel like this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I got to tell you, Lori, I got a, a, a little taste of what it's like to create interviews mm-hmm. uh, as I've now done it three times. My God, it's involved, very involved. <laughs> I could never do that. And along with everything else you do, my hat goes off to you. It's, it, it's just amazing how much you can get accomplished. Well, and I think we all can, especially when you tap into your authentic self and you, you know, your creativity and when you have people like yourself saying this is needed, it makes you want to keep going. It makes you, you know, and I mean, I, I could be next. I could easily be next with dementia. I mean, who knows? But, and I hope that doesn't happen. There's days I already think I might have it, you know, when I'm going to get really stressed and stuff and you're, you're, you know, juggling things. Um, but we have to be a more compassionate world. We have to be more proactive. We have to stop being scared about having conversations. This does not have to be a scary thing if we support people, if we accept people. Instead of saying, no, you have to look like this, you have to act like this. I mean, one of the things that that really frustrates me is when you guys get bullied, when people tell you, you don't have dementia, you can't, you know, you're not acting like my husband or my wife did. The nasty comments you guys get are ridiculous. I mean, they're absolutely ridiculous, but I love how the, your peers jump in to protect too. Um, but it, it, we have a, we have a long way. We've come a long ways and we lost, I think some time during COVID, but we also expanded um, people's ability to see that the internet and zoom meetings and things like that are really, really helpful. And I don't think that's going away. So I think that that was worth probably the pain (laughs) of COVID. Um, But there's just so many mindsets that need to be changed. And, And the only way we can do that is to, in my opinion, is to keep coming up with with new ways to reach people and, and listen to them. A lot of work to do, a lot of work to do, but it's fun. The ball's in your court. Um, I, you know, I have so many, so many questions for you, Michael. I, I, you know, we could talk all day long. And so I'm trying to prioritize, you know, what I want to ask you, because you have fought so hard. Um, and you, uh, one of the things that I guess I'd like to ask you was, you know, you, you worked on Napa, you had some issues with Napa where they kind of booted you off. I can't even imagine how devastating that was. And if you can explain that situation to people, um, to me, I think that's a perfect point. And I know it's changed, um, but I think that's just a perfect point for people to understand how far we have come, but yet how far we need to go as well. 
Well, Lori, you're going to be the first to really hear the real, real truth about this. And uh, I, I have to tell you, that was a very devastating time in my life. And I, I, I really came very close to thinking of ending my life then. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I am not one to give up. But let me paint the whole picture of what happened here and how we got through all this. As many people know, I used to attend the NAPA meetings, and that's the National Alzheimer's Project Act that was put together by uh, President Obama back in 2011 or 2012. And I used to speak at all of those because there wasn't no real representation of anybody with dementia. I used to feel terrible that we didn't have people standing up for this. So it, it used to be very hard for me to write statements and to write things down. So a lot of times I'd look to articles and other things and I'd hear what people say and do. And I try to incorporate certain things that I heard that might help me to put my speech together. Well, I wrote a speech that said something like, what's it going to take? Uh, something like a Columbine to get the attention for them to uh, bring change to the dementia arena. And it was all written in my speech. They wrote that it before I read it. They were okay with it. I had other people who were actually part of NAPA read it before it was submitted, and they all agreed with it. Nobody had any heartache. And they read it for me. Nothing happened, you know, and about five months later, I ended up, as you know, being invited to World Health Organization out in Geneva. And we had people from Napa, the top players at that particular event. It was a two-day event of all ambassadors of the world. And I was lucky to have a table at the, with my own nameplate and microphone and everything. And one of the comments that I made at that affair was that the U.S. health system is broken. And what's even crazier, the next day they were going over the highlights of the day before, and sure enough, they took my highlight and they made it up there. So that kind of embarrassed the U.S. As soon as I come back home and we come back home, next thing you know, I get an email saying that I'm not going to be allowed to come to NAP anymore because of my threatening letters. And it's like, why? This is almost six months later. And it was only a couple of days later after I had spoken at the World Health Organization. So this was kind of like, we're going to get you for this. Wow. You know, most people don't know this. So, hey, I'm good at what I do. I can get anything done. My God, I must have reached out to every single high-level contact I had in government including the top people at HHS, and they all refused to speak to me. They wouldn't even answer a question back, nothing. It was like, how do you get some resolve when everybody is against you? I had people from Homeland Security, top people, other top, they were out there trying to fight to help me, and they got stonewalled also. I mean, it goes to show you how bad the government can treat somebody if they really hate you. I mean, I used to think of all these conspiracy people who used to tell you all this crazy stuff. And I said, oh, get out of here. That can't be true. Well, my God, let me tell you, it's true. They, they, they can really 
cut the screws to you if they want. So I ended up getting banned from Napa. I wasn't allowed to cut or talk or anything. And what makes it worse, I was a big player in the Alzheimer's Association. And the minute the Alzheimer's Association heard about this, they threw me under the bus. They pulled the plug on many things. I was supposed to meet with the governor of Pennsylvania a couple days later. The Alzheimer's Association called the governor to tell them that they probably don't want me there and squashed that meeting because of all this. After all the years that I've given to them to be an ambassador, an ESAG member, they just threw me under the damn bus. Instead of standing up for a person with dementia, they couldn't give a you-know-what. And, oh, my God, was I so PO'd. And at that time, we're now talking, I've been fighting this for about a month, month and a half, and I'm just not getting anywhere. And, and like I said, it became a very bad time in my life. And luckily, there was one organization out there that believed in me and stood up for me no matter what. And that was us against Alzheimer's. They got somebody to call me up pro bono, a lawyer, Arnold and Porter. I owe Arnold and Porter my life because they took on my case and they believed I was right. And they fought for me, team of lawyers, back and forth. And they finally got a resolution to allow me to be back at Napa. The funny thing is, and it was funny, I go to the next Napa meeting and they had to have a police guard next to me the whole entire time <laughs> while I was there. The guy that we were laughing, he, he knew it was a joke. The cop knew it was a joke that he had to stand by me, little me with nothing, you know, who, who and keep in mind, you go through metal detectors, all the stuff, they check you out thoroughly before you even go in there. And they had to have this guy who followed me all around the matter where I went. They're trying to make a political statement. They're trying to scare the shit out of me because they want to make sure this didn't happen to anybody else doing what they did. And you know what? I played along with them. You know, what are you going to do? What can you do? Yeah, I, I still want to be there because I thought it was more important than to give up on it because I believe me, I thought about giving up and not going to, but I didn't want them to win. There was no way I wanted them to win because they were wrong. Mm-hmm. They were wrong because they are the people that we elected to try to improve dementia in the United States. And sadly, they failed, failed, failed miserably because of how they treated a person with dementia when the person stepped out of line. And I get it. I get it. I, I still don't understand why it become, became such a big issue, but I get it. Okay, you can't say those kind of words at that time. But you look at all these politicians, and they all say those same things. And in fact, the wording that I used came from a radio show that somebody said something the day before. And that's how I got that, that, that verbiage in my head to use that in my run. So I, I, till this day, uh, it, it saddens me that the people who are trying to help people with dementia could not forgive somebody like me who might have stepped out of line and made a mistake. And they treated me like I was a piece of trash. And sadly to say, till this day, I still don't think they got it. They still don't understand what might have happened to me because of them. Luckily, 
I was surrounded by great people willing to help me, including yourself, and supporting me because I, I, I have to tell you, it was a bad time. And uh, we finally won the battles, and we won the battles to do so much more at Napa. You know, as you know, you know, they didn't want to have people speaking over the Internet, and, you know, most people couldn't drive there and everything, and my lawyers took care of that too. So we, we've made some progress, but I believe Napa has a long way to go. They have a long way to go. Yeah, it's it's sad because even, you know, the comment that you made, I when I speak, I do something similar in in terms of of a statement. And I've never been questioned, you know, because you're just bringing up what is it going to take? What is it going to take? And, you know, it was sad that you got that reaction. I'm glad it was resolved. I, I hope you know, that they have learned, all of us have lessons to learn in this. We can't give up. We can't walk away. We have to fight some of these battles and we have to say some things that people aren't going to like to hear, but it's just feedback. It's just, it's just, you know, listen, you know, look at your mission. And if your mission is truly to help people with dementia, you have to be inclusive of them. Otherwise you're, you're way off your mission. It can't be about everybody but the person with dementia, in my mind. And so, again, I I see that changing. I still think that there's a lot of growth in a lot of organizations, in a lot of families, um, and in a lot of individuals in terms of what does that look like? What are the possibilities? And it doesn't have to be doom and gloom. And, again, with anything, we do have to have hard conversations in life if we're going to live well. You know, that's how you avoid issues. That's how you support things that are difficult. And um, and I think everybody can take great pride in those hard conversations when you move past them, when you move through them, when you when you really listen, you know, that's when change comes. And that's that's the beauty of it. So thank you for not giving up. And again, I think um, us against Alzheimer's and George for for really, you know, pushing that forward and seeing the need um, and the importance of that, because your voices should be heard there. And, and, and it's really sad because, as you know, we lose our minds. We start to have mm-hmm. problems. We, 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 we no longer have all the words we want to use. So we start doing stupid things sometimes. That shouldn't shut somebody out of society just because we do that. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like people get, getting thrown into assisted living. They go into the assisted living and all of a sudden they start having behavioral issues. So what's the first thing you do? They kick them the hell out. Mm-hmm. My God, what is wrong with these people? You're there to support people with dementia. Don't you get it? There's going to be some good times and bad times. Learn yeah. to deal with it. Help these people. Get them the help that they need and support them. These yeah. people just don't know how to do that. And, you know, what, what really, really ticked me off was out of all people, the Alzheimer's Association were the ones who sh- I expected to stand up for people like me and they just didn't care at all. They cared about their face in the public eye versus a person. They've apologized since then and said, Oh, we made a mistake. We should have done it better. I don't believe them. You know, you can apologize all you want. You didn't stand up for a people with dementia. Uh, so it, it, it's a shame. There, there, a lot of organizations need to learn to, handle people, no matter what the difficulties are, you know, you know, our minds are corrupt, they're corrupt. <laughs> and you got to treat us that, that way, you know, you, 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 
you know, if, you know, I understand some people might curse and things like that. It's a, it's a fact of life with this dementia. It's, it's not because they're doing it purposely. It's their mind is corrupt. So learn how to deal with it and de-escalate the situation, make it better for them. And that's what they all should be working on. Yeah. Learning how to make people feel comfortable because a lot of times it's those stressful situations that, that escalate um, the symptoms and stuff. The other thing that I find, and I'm just going to add on, because I think after that more organizations started stepping in and trying to be inclusive um, to the point in some cases, in my opinion, where it's almost abusive, where they're overworking you. And, you know, there's got to be a balance there. You, you can't, because, you, and I, and I hear it from you guys all the time. It's like, I love what I'm doing, but it's too much. And I'm just exhausted or I, I you know, I'm working too hard and, and now I'm really fuzzy. You know, can you help me through this? I, I just, I need to get this done for them. And it's like that organization should be self-monitoring those situations and not necessarily putting somebody in charge of something totally without support being, being backed, you know, for them. That's just my thought. Not that you're not capable, but it's, it's because you guys have so much energy and so much drive and so many creative ideas. But again, we all need some sense of support. And, and I think that, you know, that worries me um, in some situations that the voice the voice is given such a high status that the person and their needs is, isn't being rationally looked at, you know, in terms of, of capabilities or in a lot of times it's not even capabilities, it's pace of expectations. And, and I, I really think that that needs to be incorporated. I don't know if you've seen or felt that as well. No, you're, you're right. Uh, you know, there, there's, Many of us out there, and it's actually getting better because there's more advocates standing up. But originally, it was the same people being used over and over. And, you know, like you said, everybody wants it for free. Nobody wants to compensate. And and to be honest with you, it's not that I care for the money for myself, because most of the time when I get stipends and things like that, I have it donated to a dementia organization anyway. So it's not going to my pocket, but it's like, People should be start to be recognized, just like these doctors and everybody else that they come at these places. They should at least get something. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think they are kind of taking advantage of the situation. And uh, I hope over the years that's going to change. Yeah. And I don't think it's, it's done um, on purpose. I think they just don't realize it. I, again, because it's that disconnect of what's really going on and truly, truly understanding the disease process sometimes with that. Oh, I agree. I agree. Let's see. My next thing is, Lori, you're, you're really not known out there. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> she has received so many accolades in the time that I have known her. It, it, it's just amazing. On November 2012, both ShareCare and Dr. Oz named Alzheimer's Speak the number one influencer online. On December 2016, she was recognized by Maria Schreiber as an architect of change. When you thought it could not get any better, December 2017, she was recognized by Oprah as the health hero for 2018. 
That same year, AARP, Minnesota, named her disruptor and an inspiring, accomplished leader. I like disruptor because I like to think of myself with that. <laughs> October of 2020, she's recognized by the National Institute for Dementia Education. And there are many more. There are many more. How have you gotten so much attention from some of these great people and institutions? I haven't gone after any of it. I, I, it's just come to me. And I truly believe that if you have an authentic voice and if you're passionate and you really believe what you're doing, word spreads. Like um, the Google gods, I'm always afraid are going to come down and get me because I don't buy into positioning yourself on Google and doing all these ads. I think people are tired of getting pitched. I think, I think people want authentic information from people that really understand. Um, they, they want something that's inclusive. And so, you know, when I started Alzheimer's Speaks in 2009, I mean, I made a, I made a big risk and I took my savings and my retirement and I put it on the line and said, I'm going to sleep at night. And, you know, my friends and family are like, are you crazy? What are you doing? And it's like, somebody needs to step forward. And why can't it be me? Big or little difference. I think all of us have that power to, to change. And so I thought, well, I, I, there was just something in me that, that told me to do this. And so, you know, it's word of mouth. Word of mouth is our most powerful asset in terms of advertising. And yet we, we all believe now that we have to position ourselves. We have to pay to play. And, and I think that's one of the things that screwed up our whole world is this pay to play system. And it belittles those that don't have budgets. You know, I'm a one, one woman show. Um, people think I make a ton of money. I'm still paycheck to paycheck after all these years, but I believe in what I'm doing. And I believe in, in the power of, of one in terms of all of us. And I think that people see value in that. Um, even with my, my Zooms, you know, we've been doing the, the radio Zooms and the dementia chats forever. And they're not fancy productions. And people go, well, you know, you really should. And I'm like, I think people are tired of, of, of being manipulated by something looking perfect. Dementia is not perfect. And if dementia teaches us anything, it's like, that should not be your goal these days. <laughs> your goal should be acceptance, um, adaptability, and, and learning to, to find joy in life. And so even you know on the radio show, if we would have a, a disconnection, I'm still on blog talk radio, which is very inexpensive because I don't have a big budget. You know, I don't go after grants. I'm not a nonprofit. And, um, you know, it costs me $39 a month to do my radio shows. And sometimes we'll get a drop call or we'll get a little crackling in the line. And what I hear from my audience all the time is that is nothing compared to what we go through on a daily basis. We don't care. And everybody is used to dropped calls with their phones. That's just kind of part of the norm. It doesn't have to be pretty and packaged because I think sometimes there's a distrust when it looks too perfect and people are tired of being pitched and they just want authentic stories. And I think that's, 
how, you know, how Oprah and, um, and Maria Shriver and the others have found out about me, you know, when, when ShareCare called to tell me, it was, it's kind of a funny story. Like they emailed me and said, oh, you're in the, you're in the top 10, you know, and I'm like, oh, okay, that's cool. And, and then they are like, you know, can we set up a time to talk? And these two guys get on the phone and, and said, yeah, we, we have some exciting news for you. And I'm like, okay, fine. And I said, well, why don't you tell me a little bit about you guys? Cause I didn't even do any research. Cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of organizations out there that just, they'll come up with a survey. There really isn't any criteria. They're just looking at who has big numbers and we're going to go after their numbers because they'll lift our numbers. And that really is kind of what all of these things are about. And so I was talking with them and I said, well, how do you really evaluate? You know, what, what did you really do? And they're like, oh, this was really in depth. And I said, I know my Google numbers are squat because I don't believe in all of that stuff. I believe in hearing feedback from people. And they said, oh, we go way beyond Google Analytics. And I said, well, explain to me how. And they said, well, we, we analyze your content, you know, on how valuable and authentic that is. We analyze how many people like it, how many people share it, and, and we go on and on. And they went, I can't remember, I think it was like 70 or 80 um, kind of meters deep out in terms of shareability. And they said, your content doesn't die. We've never seen anything like it. And, and, you know, when they told me I was number one, you know, out of my my mouth came, well, how the heck did that happen? And they just kind of laughed at me like, well, what do you mean? How did that happen? I'm like, I'm just a, a, a single gal, a daughter. I don't have a big team. They're like, what? What do you mean you don't have a big team? I'm like, it's me. It's just me. And they, to this day, can't believe that I could have that, that big of a, of a sprawl or a spread or kind of a spider web type effect. And again, I think it just goes back to having an authentic voice, being inclusive, um, being honest, um, giving people options of choice. Uh, That was really frustrating to me too, uh, going through this journey was there were so many conversations people weren't willing to have, or, um, a lot of um, organizations and, and businesses would only give you information that they developed. You know, it was all about, it's just us. We got, we got to keep you in the, We got to keep you in our bear trap, you know? And I remember in real estate, I would get that all the time from people and uh, from other real estate agents and go, what are you telling them to, to get other assessments with other people? I said, cause I'm confident in my abilities. I'm, I'm confident in, in my communication with them. And they're like, well, you spend way too much time. We're in and out of there half an hour, you know, to an hour. And sometimes I'd be with people four hours and they're like, are you crazy? And I'm like, no, but I, I want to take the time that people need to feel comfortable making a major decision. And I think that still applies with this. And so I, I want people to have resources. I, I don't believe there's a one size fits all for any organizations. I think they all do different things well. And I think they all do um, different things not so well trying to be somebody else. And I think there's power in collaboration in terms of referring people out. I, I think that says a lot about 
who you are as an individual, who you are as an organization that you truly want to help. And it isn't about the money first. You know, everyone, of course, wants to make make a living. I get that. But when dollars, when dollars set the path, you're going to miss the service piece. You're just gonna because there are so many people in so many organizations that have not been touched by this disease. And, um, and I think that that's too sad. And I'll give an example of that, too, because I think that's important. I um, did a viewing of the show. It used to be called His Neighbor Phil. It's an, it's an hour and a half um, film that's fabulous. It's now called A Timeless Love. I'm a platinum sponsor, so I can show that you know anywhere um, in the world, um, but it has to be in person. And uh, we did this with a very large organization. I won't name the name of the organization. And we always do a talk back at the end, not a talk at. And again, I think that's one of the differences of, of how I approach things. I'm not telling people what to do. I'm giving them options and I, and I try to pull them into the conversation. So at the talk back, I share a vulnerable story of what I saw in the film. And then I go around and I ask others, you know, to share who did they see in the film? What did it remind them of? And they all share their own personal stories. And an executive director um, stood up and spoke, and she spoke for probably 10 minutes. And she told them this beautiful story, her personal journey with dementia. And then she came running over to me afterwards, apologizing for sharing her story. And, And I said, why would you apologize? And she said, well, this was about them. And I said, you are one. I gave her a big hug. I said, you are one of them. She said, in 21 years and being an executive director, I've never shared my story. And I just thought, how sad. You know, we we all give care and we can all learn from each other's journeys. And, you know, what's good for dementia is good for all of the world. I truly believe there are so many lessons wrapped in that. And I think if we just speak honestly about the good, the bad and the ugly, all the feelings we have, um, we're going to allow people to to cope better. We're going to make them feel not alone, which I think is absolutely critical. That's like the number one step to get anybody off the dime. But when you can give people comfort in terms of just not being alone and giving them hope, I think that word travels. And I think that's how those connections came to be. Long, long way around on that one. <laughs> Well, they couldn't have picked better people than you. So you deserve them all. Well, thank you. Yeah, it, they were very surprising. And I, they still surprised me to this day um, because you just kind of scratch your head and go, how did they even hear about me? And I, and I have to just make one minor correction on the health hero. I think there were like 11 health heroes that she picked around the world. And I was one of those for that year. I wasn't the only one, but still one of 11. I, I was, I was, uh, pretty shocked, you know, and, and with that one, it was really fun because they, they sent me off to a photographer and a makeup artist and the whole nine yards. And that was the first time I had ever been through anything like that. So that was kind of fun. <laughs> so let me ask you, Michael, if it's okay, what, what do you think are the missing links to really push us forward? Hmm. That's kind of a tough one. I I think one of the biggest problems we have, in my opinion, uh, is that we're not all working together 
we're working in silos trying to accomplish something. And we also don't try to push the envelope. And we're kind of just satisfied with somebody saying, well, it might take five years, it'll take 10 years. Instead of saying, hey, I want it fixed in three or four years, we just kind of go with the flow and accepting what somebody says. And to give an example of that, when I first met George Vandenberg and his organization, they were originally at 2025 looking for a cure, which is what everybody else was doing. And I'm like, why? And this was, you know, many years ago. I'm like, why you folks shoot for 2025? Why aren't we shooting for something sooner? It's like, you know, there's nothing wrong to shoot for something and not accomplish it mm-hmm. than to just push something the hell out and hope you accomplish it then. You know, the, you know it's like, I, I don't get it. I mean, there's so many things that I used to do in my old job position where I used to tell people, hey, I need this done. I'd like to get it done by this. And my people would say, oh, this can't be done. It can't be done. I said, no problem. I'll bring an outside consultant to figure out how we get this done. Oh, no, no, give us some time. Give us some time. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. And I was always amazed that they came through of what they thought they couldn't accomplish when you told them that you're going to take it outside to have somebody else come in and do it. Because you know what that means. Later on, you're going to think, hey, I'm not worth doing it here. Go bring somebody else to do my job. And it almost always worked. And you know what? You don't always get it done. You don't always get it done. But you at least make a lot more headway because you're pushing harder to do something than if you said 2025 versus 2020. Of course, you're going to get more things. And, you know, I remember telling this to George Gradenberg, and George was very disappointed in himself that he wasn't able to make the 2020. But I said, George, you accomplished so much more than any other organization out there because you tried. You have done so much more to change things. There's nothing wrong about not making it. And that's when a lot of people have difficulties. They think it's going to be a failure. It's not a failure. And that's the problem is people don't want to put out a date because they think if they don't make the date, it's a failure. It's not a failure. It's just like a drug trial. Drug trial. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we try things and we do things. They don't always are successful, but we at least learn from those things. And we come out with so much more knowledge and so much more expertise because of that. So people have to rethink on how they want to get things accomplished because there is no failure. The failure is by not trying. That's the failure. If you don't try, that is the failure. And, you know, that's the one thing, I, like I said, I love about, you know, us against Alzheimer's. They reach out to every single organization to work together. Mm-hmm. No other organization in the world does that. Nobody else does that. They all want to work in their own damn silos. And that's why they're not getting things done. I recently became a part of another organization that I'm working with. It's actually called the Dira Foundation. And what they do is they don't want to go after just Alzheimer's and dementia. They want to go after ALS, Huntington, uh, 
I can't remember the other ones, but there's like five of them. And that's just the beginning because they feel there's a lot of things that bring those together and there's similar similarities there. And I agree. The bigger we bring all these groups together, all the neurological diseases, we have a better chance of working together as a team to push the envelope, especially when it comes to Alzheimer's. Hey, we know there are no survivors. So it's going to take an army of people to do this because there are no survivors. So people need to rethink what the goals should be and not think that not meeting that goal is going to be a failure because it's not. Yeah, I think it's a matter of of turning what you view your competition into collaborators and, and pushing that forward. And, you know, when you said George was disappointed, it's like, you know, just sitting down and listing everything that they've accomplished has been huge. It really has been huge. And I, I know I don't like doing that either because I'm just still pushing forward, pushing forward. So I don't really sit back and look at what has been done because I know there's so much more to do. And, and yet it's important to do that because you're right. When we push stuff out you know, we're just procrastinating. When we when we launched the first dementia-friendly community, I think it was in 2013, I worked with the Lutheran Home Association. And I remember uh, them bringing me down to meet with their staff. And uh, Mike, the executive director, said, now, if you can get the staff on board, we're doing this. Because he had met with me for months. And, he, he, you know, he just he wanted to get a good feel for me, brings me down. And so he's like, okay, you got an hour with my staff. And he, like, did this after, like, 10 minutes and my heart just sunk and I'm thinking oh I blew it already I mean I just I was like oh I'm trying so hard and 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 I just he could see the disappointment on my face when he stopped me and he's like Lori stop pitching how do we do this they're all in they're all in and that was just such a wonderful feeling and when we when we did our kickoff, we had people from like seven county, counties come, and many of them were um, government agencies, um, along with private businesses and families. And, and I'll never forget so many of those agencies coming up going, how did you start? And I'm like, well, we just started. And they're like, well, you know, we've been working on crafting our mission statement for over two years. And I'm like, kick that sucker to the side, you know, just start, just start. You're, and because every time and they're like, yeah, our group would change. And then we pull it back out and then we start all over again. And it's like, that is not important. If you have your vision, you're all on page, move forward. If you need to write it down, write it down, let it go, but move forward and know if you're really doing a good job, things are going to change. You're going to adapt. You're going to learn from, I don't, I don't like to call them failures either. You're, you're going you're gonna to learn from what didn't work out. And a lot of times I find it's timing. It just wasn't the right time and, the, and something stalled out your project and you're like, and you're ready to pull your hair out. But then when it all comes together, you're like, mm, this makes sense. But it was something you didn't know or you didn't have control of or other parties were, weren't willing to join you. And, um, you know, or the, the memory cafes when we brought those over, you know, they just, they rewrote all their documents. They took out their S's and put in their Z's and, and they just gave it. 
that would never happen in the U.S. Everyone's like, well, what's this worth? And we have to have a licensing agreement. And, you know, there's got to be a trademark. And, you know, when I would talk to people about this, it's like, now don't screw this up. Don't think you can go and trademark this. This was a gift. This is not about ownership. This is about service. And there is a big freaking difference. We need to serve our communities and our people in them. And it is about it, it is about collaboration and the silos are coming down. And I think even with COVID and the staff shortages and people working, you know, three jobs um, in, in one community, you know, or in one organization because of the lack of staff, in some ways, I think it's forcing people to be collaborative because they don't have the bandwidth. And it's kind of like, okay, folks, you're not getting it. We're just going to stretch you a little bit more till you do because everybody can't do everything, nor should we, because that's when that in the box mentality, you know, thrives where people say, well, we've always done it this way. We've always done it this way. And then no one questions it because it's too exhausting to fight sometimes. And yet people like yourself and myself, you know, we're questioning everything, you know, in terms of how can it be done? And, and they're probably feeling drained by us, but that's okay. These things need to be questioned. If we're going to move forward, we have to look at new ways. I mean, there's the old saying, you keep doing the same thing, you're going to keep getting the same thing. Hello. But no one really wants to apply that to their own life or position. And we have to if, if we're going to make change. So true. What would you consider your greatest accomplishment in the dementia arena? Um, getting the conversation to a comfortable level. You know, just getting people to, to be willing to have the conversation, to be willing to be a guest on the show, to participate in dementia chats, to open up during a conference or a breakout or for people to believe that we can do things different, you know, that it doesn't have to be doom and gloom to get people to believe that they matter. Every single person out there matters. Every single person can make a different difference, not only in this arena, but every arena in their life. If they choose to step into their authentic self and not listen to the naysayers that it can't be done. I, I mean, I laugh at that. I think, Michael, how much, how much wouldn't be done if we listened to those naysayers? Just between the two of us. And we're just two people, you know, in this scheme of things. But, um, you know, it, it is the belief that the world can be better. And, and we can, you know, there's that saying, we're better together. And I, I truly, truly do believe that. But I think everything starts with that conversation being able to, to set up an environment where you can have a conversation where the good, the bad, and the ugly all are welcome and supported. Absolutely. Your question. Okay. Well, I wanted to ask you, and I know we've got to wrap up here. What do you want your legacy to be, Michael? It's funny that you mentioned that because I just wrote something that I want on my headstone the other day. It said, it's going to say, he changed the world and had no regrets. Uh, I have accomplished, I believe, more than most people living with dementia. 
And uh, it hasn't been an easy road. But I believe the things that I have done have brought some major changes to uh, dementia and to so many organizations out there. So for me, uh, I, I would have to say that. I think that's neat. I, living with no regrets. I mean, there isn't much that's better than that in this world. And, and being able to change things uh, for the better is, is wonderful. So thank you for all you do. What are you most excited about that's happening in the Alzheimer's arena today? Oh my gosh, there's lots of, there's lots of things. I'm going to mention dementia map again, because I think that it's just an important variable um, to be lifted out there, to be able to connect people to services, products, and tools, and and information events, um, all of that kind of stuff. So I'm really excited about that. I'm very excited about being involved with uh, Saltbox TV. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's an it's a free online streaming service designed specifically for seniors. And yet they, they have the old movies and the old TV shows, but they have a lot of educational things on there. So I'm working with them to get like my video interviews out there. Um, I want to get dementia chats and um, dementia in the arts on there, but trying trying to get all of the releases I need is like herding cats some days with that. But there's there's so many things. Seeing dementia friendly communities expand, seeing the the um, memory cafes expand, seeing our youth step up and step in, I think is really exciting. Seeing that social engagement is actually being discussed and studied scientifically for its impact. I mean, I've been screaming that since day one with, with no background on anything, but I, I still believe to this day, my mom lived 30 years because of that. And that really, really excites me. All of the alternative ways from the arts and music um, to physical activity, seeing our, our research as a whole, even the drug uh, studies expand in terms of what they're looking at. I mean, you know, everything was kind of down one path at one time. And now we're seeing a lot of different things um, pop up. Seeing all of the media regarding dementia, seeing the funding that's going into it, seeing it be a much more comfortable conversation. And and then, uh, of course, all of the the people living with dementia, you know, raising up and and really stepping into advocacy it it's so powerful and it just it really does melt my heart seeing families not so embarrassed with what it is anymore and um people eager for information and hope and change uh, there's a lot of exciting things going on i agree i agree it, it's it really is an exciting time in this field and it, it's so great to finally see the, the work of so many finally uh, starting to take place. You know, it's kind of weird because there's always been this thing about, um, and again, I'm going to use Dementia Map as a, as a uh, just as an example, but people would say, well, why do you want other radio shows listed? Well, why wouldn't I? I'm not the only voice in the world. My God, you know, and people are coming at it from all different angles and stuff. We need those voices. We need those options. 
and and we're we're seeing you know things like that expand even telemedicine and virtual meetings you know ease of access all of those things are are so critically important people are talking now about you know funding inter- internet um, and getting you know tablets and computers to people how important that is to stay connected i mean it took covid for the, I'll say the, the normal population to feel isolated and alone to really understand what's happened with this disease with so many people and how people have pulled away and the impact that's had on their lives. Now that they've been affected, they're looking a little closer at things. And it's sad to say that's what had to happen, that they couldn't see it before their eyes, but it's changed and it's a positive one. So I'll, I'll take that as a win. <laughs> Last question for you, for you. Michael, I guess it's not so much a question as it is, as it is a thank you for all you've done. I mean, just to, to reach out to me and to allow me to tell, to tell my story. You've, you know, talked with Tipa, you've talked with George, you've talked with others. Um, you have been so inspirational for, for key messaging. Uh, you know, I'll still never forget the driving in dementia piece that we did. You know, it was two hours. And Michael's like, we need to, we need to be all inclusive on this. I mean, you had an insurance person, you had doctors, you had people with dementia, you had care partners. And people's perceptions changed during that conversation. We had so many comments on that. You did an article on technology and driving when you purchased a new car and how that made a difference, just your willingness to share things or to tackle, you know, right to die, suicide. Um, You know, we had Dina Dotson who took her own life and, and that changed how people looked at that and why that happened. And yet how beautifully she arranged that. And even people who were so against that said, I will honor her choice. I mean, that's a big thing to not go down the path of, you know, you're, you're going to hell and that's wrong, but to really understand what was behind it, that it wasn't just a, a last minute whim. This was well thought out from multiple angles and, you know, you're not, you don't shy away from hard discussions. And I think that that's really important. You know, the, the right to die over the years, we've talked about this a zillion times. People have their stash of pills and families are shocked to hear that. And the one comment that we hear all the time from people living with dementia is, I hope I know where the heck I put them when I need them, <laughs> you know? And, and those are things we have to talk about. I think you were the one that even asked me, you know, with my mom, what, you know, what would I do? Or for myself, what would I do? I want my options. I don't know if I'll use them, but I want my options because I don't know what it is until I'm in it. And that's the bottom line with so much of this is we have to, we have to have these sometimes really difficult conversations in a really respectful way. And I think that's one of the beautiful things of you and I in our work together over the years is, is we've really tried very hard to, to be open to all conversations, no matter how difficult they are, and let all voices be heard so that maybe minds will be changed 
from one way to the other. People sometimes think they're just going to listen in and they're shocked how their, how their perspectives have changed after these honest conversations. So thank you. I sure hope so. I would also like to thank you, Lori, for taking the time to do this out of your very busy schedule. And uh, thank you for everything you have done for the dementia world and uh, to help bring so many advocates to the forefront. Is there anything I didn't cover that you would like to say at this point? Um, I guess, you know, you brought up that I'm kind of a one woman show. If, if there are people out there that want to volunteer their time, I don't have money, you know, to hire staff, but if you have expertise in uh, all all different types of things, um, you know, or if you have an idea of what it is we need, or maybe you've got an idea of a show that should be covered or, you know, reach out to me. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm sometimes difficult to reach, but I I really try to respond. We might be out a couple of weeks just because of my schedule, but I want to hear what you have to say. I I want to work together. We have had people that have said, well, and this is the first time I'm doing this on this new site. I actually have a donate button. I'm not a nonprofit. People can still donate. I just have to declare it and you can't, (laughs) you know, with that. But we've had people who have had a loved one passed who have decided, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do this. Um, We appreciate, you know, the efforts and that is very much appreciated, you know, by myself and uh, by those that receive the work that we do tapping into the purple angel and getting that out there. I'll just mention, you know, when my mom died, I put that in her obituary and I put it out there because I wanted people to ask what it was. Again, because it's just another way to have a conversation. And that is something that Norms McNamara started. So there's so many different things that we can do together um, using our skill sets, our insights, our thoughts. And sometimes it's just sharing a nugget that you ran across, you know, um, liking, clicking, sharing, helping elevate our voice even more is, is much appreciated. Because, Michael, you and I know there are so many families out there Um, even in our own circle of friends, of people who still aren't dealing with dementia, they're still in denial, because they're, they're wrapped in kind of the stigma. And the more information that they can get, the sooner they'll, they'll grab out and reach it and be able to live, live life a little better. So thank you. Well, thank you so much, Roy, for doing this. And this is the end. Okay. To our listeners, um, thank you so much. I appreciate you staying with us. Uh, Please like, click, and share this with everyone. And uh, that is how we expand the message. Bye now. Goodbye. Hi, I'm Lori LeBay, and I wanted to tell you about Alzheimer's Speaks, which is another great podcast. You see, my own mother lived with dementia for 30 years, and I felt lost. Did you know every three seconds someone in the world is being diagnosed with dementia? Odds are it's going to hit your families too. We want to help you connect to services, products, tools, research, and stories so you can be prepared. Please subscribe to Alzheimer's Speaks on your favorite podcast platform.